Well, Chinese plate spinning. I uh, was thinking of coming up here and showing you my plate spinning skills, but I thought better let YouTube show you how it's actually done. And you might be wondering what is with all the plate spinning. Well, I chose this video because I wanted to show you all sometimes how I feel in my life. There's certain seasons of my life when I feel like a crazy plate spinning lady. I have all kinds of plates in the air. I've got a plate spinning over here, which is my marriage. I have a plate spinning over here, which is parenting. I'm serving ministry in the church. I've got another plate. I've got to keep this one spinning while I keep this one spinning. Oh, I've got a part-time job. This season, I'm coaching basketball, so there's another plate in the air. I'm volunteering at the school, and surely one of these plates is going to drop. I love to spin plates the way that our friend Tushun Ni does it, practicing hours a day for many years, but there's certain seasons in my life when I feel like a crazy plate-spinning lady, and I wonder sometimes if that is how the world defines flourishing. The theme of this conference is flourish. What does it mean to flourish? And I wonder if the world's definition of flourishing has something to do with being busy and doing a whole bunch of things at the same time and making it look really good. Webster's Dictionary defines flourish this way to grow luxuriantly, to thrive, to achieve success, to prosper, to be in a state of activity or production. I think the world would tell us that women can and should have it all. Successful career, lots of friends and social outings, a beautiful home that could be in a magazine, romantic relationship, a vibrant marriage, high-achieving children, interesting hobbies, volunteer in the community, the school, and the church, and don't forget to take some exotic vacations. I wonder if we have fallen into thinking a little bit more about the world's definition of what it means to flourish and less about what God has to say about what it means to flourish. So I'd like us to look at that tonight. I want us to consider God's definition of flourishing, and that's what we're going to do this week, and we're going to unpack that. So um, let's look at Psalm 92, and it will be here on the screen for us. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age, they are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Now, earlier in this chapter, the psalmist actually tells us that even the enemies of God, even people who don't know God, flourish for a time, though it's fleeting but it's those who have the righteousness of Christ, who are firmly rooted in the family of God, who will continue to flourish and bear fruit. 
So as we began exploring this theme of flourishing, um, we, we were talking and praying through what to study and what to open up for all of you, and it, it turned into uh, looking at the theme of fruitfulness throughout scripture. And as it turns out, there is a ton about fruit in God's word. It's a very interesting uh, theme to look at. So that's what we're going to do tonight, and I'm just gonna pray for us as we go to God's word. Father, we thank you so much for this conference. We thank you for the women that are here, Lord, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would uh, teach us tonight about flourishing according to your word. Teach us, Lord, about fruitfulness in scripture. Help us to see what it is that you have for us so that we might bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So this uh, talk has two parts. The first part of our session, we're going to look at fruitfulness in scripture. So we're going to kind of jump around a little bit in the Bible to look at um, how fruit is used throughout God's word. And then the second part of our talk, we're gonna look at um, how can we cultivate fruitfulness in our own lives. So that's when we'll kind of settle into a passage and, and go through. But for the first part, we're gonna jump around a little bit. So feel free to listen and, and keep an eye or jot notes. Um, but you might not be able to flip as quickly as, I'm, as we're gonna hop through for the first half of the session. So fruit as a motif is a theme. So a motif is, a, is just a theme that's repeated throughout scripture. And fruit is used in the Bible in a variety of ways. So it's abundant in the beginning of the Bible and the end of the Bible. So if we were to look at the first two chapters of the Bible, we see Genesis 1 and 2 describes Eden. So God has created a beautiful place where there's abundant and healthy and beautiful fruitfulness. Um, we see in Genesis 2.9, out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. Then if we go to the end of the Bible, we have the last two chapters, Revelation 21 and 22, describe the new heavens and the new earth, which also have abundant, healthy, flourishing, beautiful fruit. Revelation 22 2 says that on the either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, was there. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So we see this fruitfulness at the beginning of Scripture, and then again at the end of Scripture. But what about in between? So there's fruitfulness before the fall and after the final judgment, but how about in between? those realities. So now we're gonna just look at four significant ways that fruitfulness is used throughout scripture. And interestingly, each of these ways finds their true and full fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. So the first way we see fruitfulness in scripture is fruitfulness as multiplying people. So God said to Adam and Eve, Genesis 1, be fruitful and multiply. Throughout Genesis, though, we see God repeating this command to Noah in Genesis 8, 
to Abraham in Genesis 17, to Isaac in Genesis 26, to Jacob in Genesis 35. In some way or another, God commands his people to be fruitful and multiply, or he says, I will multiply your offspring and make you fruitful. I find this very interesting because God could have just created all of humanity at once. Yet he chose procreation as a way to fill the earth. And as women, this is very interesting because it points to the high calling of motherhood. That God could have created humanity all at once, but he chose procreation, which means women have been used throughout salvation history to bring God's people into the world, including the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, as women who have born children, that is a very encouraging and exciting part of you fulfilling your mandate to be fruitful and multiply. I have never born a child. I have never been pregnant. And part of our story is that we struggled with infertility for many years. We've been married now for 12 years. And God has never given us a child through biology, though he blessed us through adoption with our beautiful daughter, Selah. So this mandate can be perplexing for women who've never born children. I have prayed to God, this is basic, Lord. Why can I not bear children? You've said to be fruitful and multiply. I want to do this for you. I want to be fruitful. That wasn't part of God's plan for our family. I will tell you, though, the encouraging thing is that this mandate is fulfilled through Jesus Christ. We see in Matthew 28 the good news that Jesus calls all of his followers to be fruitful by making disciples. Jesus came and said to them, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So even though we live in a fallen world and not every woman will be called to make babies, we are all called to make disciples. We are all called to be fruitful and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ. So whether that's through biology or adoption or fostering or nurturing the next generation in the church, it is a high, high calling for us as women. The second way that fruitfulness is seen in scripture is as a blessing from God. So under the old covenant, God's people had to obey the law. They had to obey the law to receive blessings, and if they broke the law, they would receive curses. Deuteronomy 28 um, outlines these blessings and curses that God promises to his people. And so faithfulness is evidence of God's blessing, and the, uh, excuse me, fruitfulness is evidence of God's blessing, and the removal of fruitfulness is his cursing. Deuteronomy 28.11 says, and the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your livestock and in the fruit of your ground within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. Now, we know that God's people could never keep his law perfectly. Therefore, how could they guarantee 
the enjoyment of his blessing and, and the fruitfulness that he was willing to give. Again, the good news is that through Jesus Christ, under the new covenant, he became a curse for us. So there's no longer, we are no longer under a curse, but we are under the grace and the fulfillment of Jesus Christ and his salvation for us. So through salvation in Christ, we receive the fruit of the blessing of eternal life. Galatians 3 reminds us, if you're looking for that reference, that Christ became a curse for us to redeem us uh, from the curse so that we could have blessing. The third way that fruitfulness is seen in scripture is intimacy in marriage. The Song of Solomon is a little book that uses fruit as sexual imagery to describe the physical intimacy that is to be enjoyed between a husband and wife. So you have this beautiful um, uh, chapter, or, sorry, book of the Bible, and the husband says here in Song of Solomon 7 verse 8, I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. I'm just gonna give you a little tip that he's not talking about an actual palm tree. It represents his wife. And he's going to seek the beautiful clusters um, within the marriage bed. And so if you read through that chapter, it's a very interesting use of fruit, pomegranates and apples and mandrakes, oh my. (laughs) Who knew that fruit in the Bible could even make you blush? This is some bedtime reading for you tonight if you haven't read that. Um, Now, in Jesus, marriage points ultimately to the union of Jesus and his bride, the church. He desires for us to intimately know him and to enjoy him. So in the context of marriage, read Song of Solomon and enjoy a more fruitful sex life. You're welcome for that. Or your husbands, you know, can thank me. Um, So the fourth way we see fruitfulness in scripture is godly character. And this is the theme uh, that we're gonna explore for the rest of our session tonight and then as well tomorrow. We'll hear two sessions on this theme. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Now the fruit of the Spirit is a popular topic at Bible studies, at uh, Christian art stores. You may have heard or learned a kid's song that has to do with the fruit of the Spirit that gets stuck in your head. Um, So for some, it can be a familiar concept. But I do have a question for us, and especially if it is quite familiar to you, if you feel familiar with the fruit of the Spirit. My question for us as we settle into this text is, are we, as followers of Christ, flourishing with continuous, abundant, healthy, beautiful, spiritual fruit? So in my own life, I feel somewhat familiar with the fruit of the Spirit, and I have the Holy Spirit living in me, but I do have to ask myself, If I have the Spirit of God in me, why am I not bursting forth continually with joy all the time? Why 
is self-control not just abounding in me all the time in every conversation and every circumstance if the Spirit of God is in me? And the same in the church. If we have the Holy Spirit in us, are we seeing flourishing, abundant, beautiful spiritual fruit? So that's the question I want us to consider as we turn to Galatians 5. So turn with me now to Galatians 5, 16 to 25. The context of this passage is that Paul wrote to remind the Galatian church about the true gospel. He wanted to remind them that salvation in Christ is received by grace through faith, not works. There's nothing that anyone can do to earn their salvation. We have freedom in Christ. And so Paul writes, use your freedom not to indulge the works and the desires of the flesh, but to walk by the Holy Spirit. So let's turn now and look at this passage, Galatians 5, starting at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So Paul here explains the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Holy Spirit in verse 17. In Christ, we are new creation, so we're no longer slaves to the sin nature. So Paul's making a contrast here between the old self and the works of the flesh and the new self, the new creation that we are in Christ. This is our new core identity. For those who are in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit in us who produces spiritual fruit. So I wanna spend the rest of our session looking at how can we then cultivate spiritual fruit in our lives. So we're gonna look at three ways to cultivate fruitfulness. The first way is to seek a biblical understanding of spiritual fruit. I wonder if we have confused the fruit of the spirit with the fruit of our emotions. Have we shallowed out the definitions of these things or kind of brought a cultural understanding of some of these 
areas. The problem with emotions is that they're often greatly influenced by our circumstances. The fruit of the Spirit are are aspects of who God is, and he produces this fruit in and through us. He can use our circumstances to cultivate more fruit, but they're not dependent on circumstances. So the contrast here is that that we want to look at fruitfulness biblically, that the fruit of the Spirit is not based on temporary circumstances, but on eternal realities. So we're going to just go through each aspect of the fruit, and notice um, Paul talks about the desires of the flesh, and he has a number of different things that he outlines of those who won't inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is singular, These are not fruits, these are fruit of the Spirit. This is what the Spirit of God produces in and through the lives of believers. So we're gonna just look at each fruit and you could spend a whole sermon series or on on the list of of each aspect of the fruit, Um, but we're just gonna go through them and and what I want us to do, I, I just wanna encourage you to consider Ask God to help you think biblically about these things. Less about our emotions and circumstances, less about temporary circumstances, but how should we look at these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit in light of eternal realities? So, love. Love is not just the feeling of romance and butterflies and the happy endings of a romantic comedy. Rather, this is the agape love of God. This is the choice to give of ourselves and put others first. A lot different than a temporary, fleeting, kind of romantic love. Joy is not just the feeling of happiness and cheerfulness all the time. Rather, it is a calm delight in the sovereignty of a good and powerful God. Peace is not just the tranquility you might feel from going to a lakeside retreat, but rather a deep rest in the soul from a secure knowledge that God is in control. Patience, sometimes when we think about patience, it's just Um, the feeling of when you're stuck in traffic or in the checkout line and you feel, oh, Lord, give me more patience. But it's not just that. It is rather a perseverance to endure pain or suffering in light of God's eternal plan. Kindness is not just feeling nice and friendly all the time, but rather a genuine desire to extend the grace that we have received from God to others. Goodness is not feeling like we want to just engage in good deeds for others, but rather an uprightness of heart and life, doing what is right, even when it's difficult. Faithfulness. It's not just feeling devotion towards our spouse or being a loyal friend. 
the biblical definition of faithfulness is actually an assurance of Christ's saving work and God's sufficiency in every circumstance that you, you know, you know that he is enough, that he is in control. Gentleness is not just the feeling of tenderness like a cuddly kitten. Rather, it's bridled strength that uses only as much force as necessary because of a deep trust in God's ultimate authority. Self-control is not just the feeling of willpower to overcome anything in your own strength. Rather, it's relying on the strength of Christ to restrain the impulses of our flesh. All of these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit are external indicators of a true follower of Christ. They point to life. There, if there is fruit on a tree, it points to healthy life. There is something life-giving. And so as true followers of Christ, if we have the fruit of the Spirit, it is an external indicator of life and health in our, in our lives. The second way that we can seek to cultivate fruitfulness from this passage is to see how the gospel has dealt with sin. Verse 24 says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Jesus is our only hope of ever producing any type of spiritual fruit. So the first question you need to ask is, have you put your faith in Christ to allow him to deal with your sin? In Galatians, Paul is very clear that there's nothing we can do to add to our salvation. It is a free gift of God, that it is by grace, through faith, that we receive our salvation. It doesn't matter how many good works we do, how much effort we put into being a nice person or to producing acts of kindness. The only way to ultimately deal with our sin is to recognize that we are in desperate need of a Savior, Jesus Christ, who took the penalty of our sin, who died on the cross, was resurrected, and is coming back in glory. This is the gospel. There are no good deeds or nice qualities that we can practice to earn our salvation. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, those who have received the gift of salvation, those who are in Christ, and you would call yourselves Christ followers, are you constantly aware of how Christ has dealt with your sin? Do we realize that in Christ we are no longer hopeless sinners, but saints? That we have a new core identity, that in Christ we are chosen ones, set apart ones, who have to, until Christ returns, deal with the reality of living in a fallen world. Um, wrestling with our fallen sin tendencies. That is what Paul refers to as our flesh. But I've always found so interesting about this verse is that Paul says 
this in the past tense. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Crucified is in the past tense with its passions and desires. So I have asked the Lord this when I've struggled in my own life. If my desires of my flesh have been crucified, past tense, why am I still wrestling with sin? We need to recognize this as a reality, that our sin was taken in the body of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is a past event. The desires and passions of our flesh have been crucified, they've been executed, they've been murdered and destroyed. But sometimes I think we forget that. I think we actually give our flesh a lot too, way too much authority in our lives, not recognizing that it's already been dealt with on the cross. We need to constantly remind ourselves of this reality that at salvation we are a new creation. We are no longer slaves to sin. We don't have to live in bondage to sin. We don't have to say, well, this is just the way I am. This is just my thing. Uh, I've always struggled with it, and this is just the way I am. No, in Christ we are a new creation. So we have to see that that sin, those sin tendencies, those patterns, those habits have already been dealt with on the cross. The Holy Spirit living in us as we walk with him, we can produce spiritual fruit as he produces produces it in us. And the third way we see in this passage to cultivate fruitfulness, the first way was to seek a biblical understanding of spiritual fruit. The second way was to see how the gospel has dealt with our sin. And the last way is to submit to the Holy Spirit. In verse 25, Paul writes, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. In verse 18, he says, to walk with the Spirit or be led. Have you ever uh, seen a parent and a child in a store and the child really, really needs to go down the toy aisle and the parent is like ready to go home but the kid is pulling and pulling and pulling. It's kind of like that. Are we walking with this? We're supposed to be walking with the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, not be constantly pulling, allowing our flesh to constantly be in a struggle but rather walk with the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, submit to his leading in our lives. You know, it is only the Holy Spirit that can produce spiritual fruit in our lives. We can't muster it up. I can't wake up in the morning and decide today I'm gonna produce a whole bunch of patience. It just doesn't work that way. I can ask and plead with God, thank you for, for dealing with my sin tendencies on the cross and ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, would you produce by your Holy Spirit more patience in me today? And that's the next aspect of submitting to the Holy Spirit. Are you praying fervently for your need? Do we see these aspects of spiritual fruit as a need in our lives? Do we see it as daily bread? You know, Jesus said to pray for your daily bread. What is it that you need each day? And I wonder if sometimes we overlook this spiritual fruit as need in our lives. Lord, I need more joy today. I need more self-control. I need your agape love in and through me today. Are we praying fervently for this? Do we come to prayer meetings with prayer requests such as, 
would you just pray for more uh, fruit of kindness in my life because it's just been tough lately with my situation. Are we recognizing these things as, as needs? And lastly, cooperate with his guidance. So small decisions matter. As the Holy Spirit leads and guides us, we will be prompted as we seek his guidance, as we seek to submit to him and follow him, he will prompt us on small decisions. And many little decisions lead to habits, whether they're good decisions or bad decisions. As we submit to the Holy Spirit's leading, find out what it is that he's leading you to do. What is, what is, what is the sinful pattern in your life? And I think a lot of us know some of our sin tendencies, some of us know those areas that we just, we just continue to repeat, we fall back into the same old pattern. Are we bringing that to the Lord and saying, God, through your Holy Spirit, would you help me to see that my flesh and its desires and passions have been dealt with on the cross? Are we asking the Holy Spirit to help us develop healthy patterns? So to cultivate fruitfulness, we need to seek a biblical understanding of spiritual fruit, one that is not based on temporary circumstances and emotions, but on eternal realities. We need to see how the gospel has already dealt with our sin and preached the gospel to ourselves so we know that we don't have to allow our flesh to have so much authority in our lives. And lastly, Submit to the Holy Spirit. We've been given an amazing gift that, that the Holy Trinity would choose to live and dwell in us. So as we wrap this up, we've kind of taken a journey through Scripture to look at fruitfulness and how does it appear in God's Word. What does it mean to flourish and be fruitful? Is it like the world would have us think to have all these spinning plates in the air? Is it that to flourish, a woman has to have all of these things going on in her life, all of the busyness, and in each area she's got success? Are we pursuing all of these things so that the world would see how successful we are? Are we looking at other women and saying, I don't know how she does it. She's got a lot going on and she seems to be doing it very well. Are we kind of hoping that the world might notice that we can do a lot of things really well too? We need to take a step back, turn the volume down on what the world is telling us about flourishing and fruitfulness and go to God's word and see what he has to say about bearing fruit. I want us to look at that passage again in Psalm 92 that we started with, and there's a little phrase uh, in verse 15. I don't know if you noticed it the first time. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. And these trees are such great images because they endure all types of conditions. Hot desert climate, rocky terrain, they still flourish in all seasons. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are 
ever full of sap and green. And notice this phrase here, to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. We pursue fruitfulness not to draw attention to ourselves, but to draw attention to Jesus Christ. That is why we pursue bearing fruit at all. It's so that the world can see that there's actually life in us. There's something different in us. We're not just doing a whole bunch of good deeds and being really nice all the time, but there's, there's a deep truth that there's, there's someone that is producing life in and through us. And when we produce spiritual fruit, we get the benefit of it as well. We get to enjoy the spiritual fruit. But it's not just for ourselves. The fruit that we produce is to show a world that there is one who gives life. May we pursue fruitfulness to the glory of God and point others to Jesus Christ, the source of all blessing and the giver of life. Let's pray. Father, we are so humbled by the truths that you give us in your word. We thank you that you have given us the image of fruit to be used in all kinds of ways to point to you as the true giver of life. God, you are the source of all blessing and life. You've given us the tree of life in Genesis and Revelation, Lord, and then you've shown us fruitfulness throughout scripture as blessing, Lord. You call us to multiply people as life, God. You call us to receive your blessing through Christ. You call us to intimacy with you, and you call us to bear fruit in our character, Lord, so that others would see that there is a true giver of life. Jesus, I pray that your spirit would make these truths real for us. Help us to understand them, Lord, and help us to apply these truths to our lives, Lord. Please, Lord, give us a biblical understanding of spiritual fruit. Help us not to rely on our temporary circumstances, Lord, but to seek eternal realities, Lord. Help us to think about what it is that you want us to do and how it is that you want to bear fruit in our lives. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.